Bibles this evening. Everybody got a Bible tonight? All right. Good to have a Bible. And uh, I want you to open your Bible this evening to the book of 1 Timothy, if you would please. The book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, we'll share a little bit from the Word of God with you tonight. Amen. Well, praise God. I love the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. How, how many say, I love the church tonight? Um, there are many dysfunctional churches in the world today. And uh, many churches that are desperately sick. You know... I read this week, somebody had a thing that said, you, you, you know that you're visiting a bad church if the usher asks you if you prefer smoking or non-smoking. If the baptismal tank has a jacuzzi, you know you're visiting a bad church. If the sign out front has the pastor's name written with a dry erase marker, you know, <laughs> that you're in a bad church. But I thank the Lord for Abundant Life Family Church. And I want to I talk about the church. I, th I love the church, not just our church, but every church. The church uh, in general, the church as a whole, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I want to talk to you about the church tonight, about the church of the living God. In First Timothy Paul writing to Timothy, and uh, in, this, in, this, in this third chapter of 1 Timothy, it begins with, and I, I'm not going to take the time to read it all. It's good reading, though, but it begins with uh, qualifications for bishops, which would be pastors, the elder of the church, the pastor of the church. It gives the qualification for bishops, and then he gives the qualification for deacons, and uh, he lays that out. And then in verse number 14, that's where I want to pick up tonight. After Paul is writing to Timothy and telling him, you know, he said, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he, he desires a good thing, a good office. And, and then he gives those qualifications, same with the deacons. And then in verse 14, he says to Timothy, he says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed... I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Let me read that again. I, I, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. There's a right and a wrong way to conduct ourselves in the house of God. And without controversy, verse number 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. But notice in verse 15, how that you may conduct yourself in the house of God. Notice, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. What a description of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for your word tonight. Help us to minister and, and share the gospel, the word of God with your people tonight. And under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and I'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Well, you know, we are, uh, we're all aware of the fact that there's no perfect church. Isn't that right? A lot of people are looking for the perfect church because, uh, you know, they, but there is no perfect church. All churches are made up. And the reason that we're not perfect is because we're, the church is built on imperfect with imperfect people and with flawed material. So... Thank God, though, that he's building his church with us, with his people. But the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, even though the church is not perfect, 
And we will be one day, thank God. But the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I still believe, is the greatest institution on the face of the earth. Because the church is God's idea. And as I have already said, I love the church. There are many churches, as I said, that are dysfunctional, many that are desperately sick and in need of a, a revival. But uh, I love the church. There was a time in my life, and probably many of you here, that you didn't love the church. I, there was a time I didn't love the church. I didn't want anything to do with the church. I didn't want nobody to talk to me about church. But, boy, when the Lord got a hold of me and changed my life, man, the things that I, that I used to love, I didn't love anymore. And the things that I hated, that's what I loved. He just turned me around and gave me a love for the church. Isn't it amazing that after you get saved, you know, before you're saved, you don't want anything to do with church. But after you get born again, it's just a part of your life. It's your family. You can't wait for times to come together to the house of God. And so the church is so important. And if we ignore and forsake the church, we do so to our own peril. Somebody said that a Christian without a church is like a bee without a hive. And I believe that today. And I'm glad that I've got a church to go to. Can I get an amen? Now, there are those today that say, a lot of people say that the house of God is not important. I've heard people say, well, you know, I don't, Brother Rick, I don't have to go to church to be right with God. I don't have to go to church to be saved. And, and that is true to a degree. But I do also believe that if you are right with God and you are really in relationship with God, that you will want to go to church. Amen. You will desire to be in the house of the Lord. And praise God, we need the church in these last days. Church is a big deal. Church is important. It's important in my life, and it should be important to each and every one of our lives. I remember 20 years ago when we began, we were, were making plans to begin to start Abundant Life Family Church. And, uh, you know, you get a lot of encouragement from people when you're going to launch and start a new work. But I had uh, people say, um, people would say, well, the last thing. Now, can you imagine this? They would say, the last thing Farmington needs is another church. Can you imagine somebody saying that? Oh, never mind. It's okay to issue some more liquor licenses and open some new nightclubs and bars and restaurants with bars in them and all that type of thing and serve um, more alcohol. But we don't need another church. I remember Brother Archie Ellison. If any of you from over at the old church remember, Brother Archie was um, up in his 80s, nearing 90. He, 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 he lived really right down the street from me, and I didn't even know him, and he had been looking and looking for a church, and he heard our radio broadcast, and he heard me preach on the radio, and he found out where we were, and he came to our church, and he became a part of Abundant Life Family Church, and man, everybody Everybody fell in love with Brother Archie. And I made that statement one time because he couldn't say enough good things about Abundant Life Church. And I made that statement one time about people saying the last thing that Farmington needed was another church. And Brother Archie said, he testified to that. And he said, listen, he said, I believe that there needs to be one like this one on every corner in Farmington. Amen. But the church is important to me. It's important to you. A church, good spirit-filled church is, is important to the community. Amen. And so how important is the church? How important is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it's so important that it's important because Jesus gave his life for the church and died for the church. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.25 when Paul writing there about the church and about comparing the church with the relationship of a husband and a wife, comparing the relationship of the church, the bride of Christ with the Lord. And he said, 
in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ so loved the church and gave himself for her. Jesus loved the church so much that he gave himself to purchase the church and to make the church his bride. Hallelujah. He thought I was to die for. He thought you were to die for. That's how much. He thought you were worth saving and bringing you out of the darkness of this world and bringing you into the church, making you a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as much as Jesus loves the church, I would say to anybody that claims to be a Christian, if they don't love the church, they need to check themselves and check their relationship with God. Because I believe that when you and I get saved, we will love what Jesus loves. Come on, somebody. Amen. And he loves the church. Praise God. Hallelujah. In Acts chapter 20, Paul called a little, the very first pastor's conference, I guess. You could call it a pastor's conference that was given in Acts chapter 20 when Paul um, stopped there. At, I believe it was at Melita, and he called for the elders of the church at Ephesus in the area around there to come and meet with him there. And, and uh, as he was meeting with those elders, with those pastors, those leaders of the church, he gave them an admonition. He gave them a charge, and he said to them in Acts chapter 20 and 28, he said, Therefore take Heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. That's what makes the church important because the church is a blood-bought church. Jesus bought the church purchased the church, paid for the church with his own precious blood. And we are a blood-bought church. Are you glad you're a part of the blood-bought church of the Lord Jesus Christ? But then the writer of Hebrews, which I believe that it was the Apostle Paul, but some would disagree with that. But the writer of Hebrews gives us some words that we're to think about and we're to ponder. And probably one of the verses of Scriptures that pastors quote more than any other is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, where he says this to those Hebrew Christians there. He says, not forsaking. Amen? Not forsaking. Would you say this is imperative, that this is a command? I believe that it is. And he says, not forsaking. The what? The assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some but exhorting one another. See, some had already began to forsake the assembling together. I guess they got the idea, I can live for God just as good on my own. I really don't need to be with other Christians. But they had begun to forsake the assembling. And Paul is telling them here, do not forsake the assembling together. We had to do that back during COVID. And I made the statement, I, I may have to live up to those words one day, but I said, We'll not do that again. We'll not close down again. No matter what kind of declaration comes down, amen, we'll not shut down the services and we'll not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. As long as Walmart's open, as long as Lowe's is open, as long as 214 liquor store is open, Abundant Life Family Church will be open. Come on, somebody. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But come together, he said, and exhort one another and encourage one another. And that's what the assembling of a church service is. The body of Christ, the bride of Christ coming together so that we can encourage one another and exhort one another. And then he went on and said, and so much more. So this assembling and this exhorting and this gathering together as a body of believers is to be done not less but more as you see the 
day approaching. What's the day he's talking about? He's talking about the day that we're living in right now when just at any time the trumpet of Almighty God could sound and the dead in Christ be raised and we which are alive be changed in the moment and the twinkling of an eye and caught up to be with the Lord in the air. Amen. We, we, you know, we, 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 get, uh, we get a little flack sometimes. You all still have three services a week and there's so many that only have many churches that have only gone to one service a week. But Paul admonishes us and tells us as we see the day of the coming of the Lord approaching, assemble together more, not less. Have more church, not less. Have longer services, not shorter. Can I get an amen? You may not amen that. Huh? <laughs> well, praise the Lord. Listen, the church is important to God, and so it ought to be important to us as well. And so Paul is writing here to Timothy, and he's telling Timothy uh, to exhort the believers, those he's teaching. Timothy at the time was a young preacher, a young pastor there in Ephesus. And Paul now is giving him an admonition, writing to Timothy, telling him how believers, that he is to tell believers how they should behave in the church of the living God, the household and the family of God. And so Paul gives a great description of the church in verse number 15. Notice this. He gives a great description of the church. He says to Timothy, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Notice which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. He gives the description of the church as being, being the house of God. He calls the church, Paul calls the church the house of God or the household of God. Actually, that is the word there. The Greek word translated house there means a dwelling or a home, a habitation or a household or a family. So he refers to the church as being a, 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 a dwelling or the household of God. Ephesians 2.22, Paul, Paul said that the church is a dwelling place of God through the Holy Spirit. So the church, the house of God, the church, when we talk about the house of God, listen, we're not referring to this building. Amen? We're not referring to this building as being the church. Now, we call it a church. I tell Vicki, I'm, I'm going down to the church. Well, you know, even when nobody's here, it's still referred to the building as, as a church because it's where the church assembles. It's where the church meets. It's where we come together. And the house of God, the house of God refers to the household of God or to the gathering together of God's people. And that's what the church is, ladies and gentlemen, the church is a household. It's a family where every person that is truly saved is a member of the family of God. Oh, that old, we sing that old song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. It's been a long time since I heard it or sang it, but washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood, a join heir with Jesus as we walk through this side. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, and I'm glad that I'm not in the old family that I used to be. Oh, I thank God for our, our natural family here on earth, but I used to be a part of a family that was full of a, a life of rebellion and sin, but God adopted me. He delivered me. He delivered you out of that old family of Satan and sin and adopted us into the very family in the household of God. That shouting ground right there. Amen. Everyone that is truly saved, everyone that is truly born again are a part of this family and we are the house or we are the household of God. Now I want you to notice something. A house, when we talk about a house, a house unless it's been condemned or, or evacuated you know, a house has residence. Somebody lives in a house. Amen. I live, my house my house here in town is where I reside. It's 
where I live. It's where I dwell. A house has residence. So who do you think the resident is of the house of God? The house of God is the place where God resides. Is anybody here tonight? The house of God is the place where God dwells. The place where he, through the Holy Spirit, lives and abides and dwells. The house of God, Paul said to Timothy, which is the church of the living God. That word church is ecclesia, and it means an assembly of people. It is an assembly that has been called out by God, called out of the world, and brought together to make up this household of God. We are the house of God, ladies and gentlemen. The church, those who have been called out and made a part of this church, we are the house and the church of, notice, the church of the living God. Now that that just makes me happy right there. I get excited about that because a house has residence and the resident of this house beings it's God's house and beings the church is God's house. God resides in the church and the God that I serve tonight is a living God. He is not dead. The church is not a mausoleum. The church is not a cemetery. A church is not a place where dead idols are worshipped. Amen. But it's a church where the true and the living God resides and where God is there is life because God is alive. I ain't got time for no dead dry church. Give me a church where God lives and dwells. The living God abides. Amen. Where the Holy Ghost abides and dwells. Hallelujah. That is what the church is. Amen. We are the temple of the living God. Come on, somebody. You know, some years back in the 70s, the, 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 uh, the thing was going around, God is dead. God is dead. And, and uh, you know, some people bought into that. But I'm telling you, God's not dead. He's still alive. But praise God. He's still alive and he's still well. We had that old chorus we used to sing back in those days. God's not dead. He is still alive. I feel him in my hands. I feel him in my feet. I feel him all over me. Anybody ever sang that? He's alive tonight. You know how I know he's alive? I had a good conversation with him this morning. I talked to him and he talked back to me. Hallelujah. You know how I know he's alive? Because he refreshed my soul in the house of God this morning. And I feel his presence right now. This is the house of the church of the living God. And God is still alive and well in his church today. Woo, hallelujah, amen. I, you know, that church at Sardis, I mean, you know, Jesus said to them, that church at Sardis, he said, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. And when I read that as a young, uh, a young preacher, I, I, may, I thought, I said, Lord, that's Pentecostals. I said, that's, that's, that's Pentecostals. We got a name that we're alive, but we're many times, many of us are dead. Well, we don't want to die. We don't want to dry up. Come on, amen. We want to keep this, the house of God, where God dwells in our midst. Jesus said this, Matthew 18, 20, For where two or three, I have to rely on this scripture a lot during prayer meeting. But he said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So it doesn't take 20 people, 50 people, 100 people. It just takes two or three to constitute a church because where two or three show up and they show up in the name of Jesus and they're there to worship Jesus, Jesus shows up and he's there in the midst of them. Amen. So we are the temple that houses the living God. We are the temple that houses the living God both individually and corporately. 
There's an in, individually, you are a temple housing the Holy Spirit. And corporately, when we come together, corporately, we are the house of God housing the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16, Paul said to that church at Corinth, he said, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Notice what he says, for you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church here. He's talking to believers. He said, for you are the temple of, notice what, what, of who? The living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So individually, you are a temple of the of the living God. God lives in you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was rent and opened up, and uh, the, the Spirit of God no longer dwells in a man-made building, or it's no longer, uh, God is no longer kept behind a veil in that holy of holies, but the holy place was opened up. God moved out so that now He can reside in each and every one of you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost that lives in you and you. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So you're the house that the Lord lives in. He said, I'll walk among you. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will dwell in you. You're the temple of the living God. You've got life on the inside of you. Come on, amen. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank God for the life of God. But we're, so we're, 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 we're individually, we are houses of the living God, but also corporately because Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 5, he says to these believers, he said, you also as living stones, are you a living stone tonight? As living stones, you're built, being built up a spiritual house. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So this is the church corporately coming together. Every individual, a living stone. That's why I tell you, when you come in, come in praising. When you come in, bring the sacrifice of praise. Don't come in, amen, dead. Somebody said, when you, when you stay up and watch Saturday Night Live, you come in Sunday morning dead. And that's, that's what happens to a lot of people. Amen. But we're living lively stones that are built up a spiritual house. So when we come together, we come together to worship the Lord together in the house of the living God. He abides. God abides in His church. Now notice this. Notice this. He says that the church... He says that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. He's still giving here a, a description of the church. It's the house of God, the living God, and it's the pillar. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. That, that word ground means a, a firm and stable prop or a stay. So this is figurative language here that's used to emphasize that the church is to be the, a, a pillar, a stable pillar, and uh, the ground of the truth. And the church is to be, and what Paul is saying here, that the church is to be the great upholder of truth, which is what? The Word of God. This is what the church of Jesus Christ exists for. We're to be the ground of the truth, the pillar and the ground of the truth. I don't know anything about construction. I've never built a house or a building. Brother Mark has different ones of you have. Brother Bob has. But you know, you know, you dig those, those footings, those footers, and you pour that concrete, and you get a foundation there that's grounded. That's the ground. And you've got something then to build up. On the you put the pillars or the or the walls or whatever the case, but the pillar the pillar 
are in the ground of the truth is what the church is supposed to be. In other words, a great upholder, a great upholder of the truth of the Word of God. Listen to me. The church is not, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not, ladies and gentlemen, is not a place of entertainment. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a social club filled with socials and parties. It's good we have our get-togethers and our fun times, but that's not the purpose of the church. Those are side activities. The church is not a recreational center. We've had recreation in the past. We enjoy that. Praise God. We used to have a church softball team until they skipped revival to play in the tournament. And I said, we're done with softball. Come on, somebody. Well, it's going to get quiet now. Nobody showed up for revival because they had to play a, a, a softball game. I said, we ain't doing that. The church, boy, did I, did, I, did I throw cold water on everybody? The church is not a recreational center. Well, what is the church for? The church is, as I said, not entertainment. You know, it was when, when Samson, it was when Samson got bound by the Philistines, they put his eyes out. He lost the power of the Holy Spirit. He became blind and was bound and grinding in the mill that they brought him out. One that one time had the power and the, and the anointing of God, now lost it and becomes blind, and he's bound and grinding, and they bring Samson out, the enemy the to make sport of him. Do you know what that means? It means he was putting on a show for them. He became their entertainment. He was putting on some entertainment. Let me, let me tell you what. We do not as the church, we do not have means of entertaining this world. We're not here to cater to the entertainment needs of this world. We are here as a pillar and a ground and a pillar of the truth to lift up the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as long as we are here at Abundant Life Family Church we will be by the help and the grace of God that pillar and ground of the truth to preach the word and to teach the word. Amen. That's why we take it verse by verse, chapter by chapter line upon line precept upon precept here a little and there a little that's what we've got to do as a church is preach the word of Almighty God. Praise the Lord. Amen. We'll never have a Super Bowl party here as long as I'm pastor. I don't know where that comes from. Just thought I'd throw it out. Nothing should take the priority over God's Word in the church of Jesus Christ. That is our main business, ladies and gentlemen, to preach and to teach the Word. The church supports the truth. Listen to me. The church, and this is what Paul is saying to Timothy, the church is to support the truth just as pillars and the ground support the building. Those footers support that building. That foundation supports that building. The church supports and lifts up the truth of the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The church, here's how important the church is. Here's what a big deal the church is. Here's what God, why God thinks the church is so important and why Jesus loves the church so much because the church is God's instrument on the earth to proclaim the truth to a lost and dying world. And that is the reason we exist. And when we stop existing for that purpose, the candlestick is removed. Woo! When local churches turn away from the truth, when they compromise the Word of God, the enemy makes inroads and makes great progress in the world. It's hard to understand. Well, it's not really. But we have in America more mega churches today than we've ever had, than there's ever been. And more ungodliness and wickedness, and sin, and crime than we've ever had. So what are you trying to say? The church, mega church, is not making an impact. 
they boast of hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people being saved every year. But where's it showing up in society? Every great move of God in revival in the past, people got saved and the bars closed down and the brothels shut down and the places of, of evil, wicked entertainment closed up because of the gospel that was being preached and people that were getting saved. Come on, amen? So what's going on? What's happening? I believe it's because the church has turned away from the truth. That Many of them, many of those that I mentioned that are dysfunctional have turned away from the truth and they begin to compromise God's Word and the enemy has made great progress in that area. Amen. But the conduct of the house of God, and I'll, I'll give you this and I'm about done, all right? The conduct of the house of God. We've talked about what the church is, and we've got a description of the house of God. But notice that in verse 15, he also gives us the conduct of the house of God. And he, he talked about how that, that, to Timothy, he said that you may know how to act, how to behave yourself in the house of God. Do you know there's a right way and a wrong way to behave ourselves? Praise the Lord. So we know Paul had a love for the church. He once persecuted the church, but now he was living for the church. He was giving his very life for the church and for the Lord Jesus Christ who had established the church. Everywhere that Paul went, what was he doing? He was establishing churches. He was planning churches. He was setting churches in order. He was, he was, he was setting elders and deacons and pastors in those churches, amen, to establish the church. That was his life. That was his goal. That's how much he loved the church. And Paul Paul loved the church of Jesus Christ so much that eventually he would give his life for the church. He wrote the epistles in this, in this Bible. He wrote, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament to the church, telling the church how to live, how to be right, how to walk with God, how to overcome sin, the blessings and the, the benefits that are ours in Christ. He wrote it over and over and over to every church. He, he had to rebuke some churches. He had to set things in order. But Paul loved the church and he wanted to see the best take place in the church because that Paul's love was so strong for the church he wanted the people of God within that church of the living God to behave as they should in the house of God amen and this could be a whole message in itself but here are some ways that we need to behave and conduct ourselves in the house of God as being the house of God we are to fear and reverence God. We're to stand in awe of Him as the church of Jesus Christ. And we should reverence His house when we come to His house. Now somebody needs to say amen right there. There are some things that we don't do in God's house. Now, I'm not being nitpicky here. Maybe I am. But there is to be respect and reverence for the house of God. I, the house of God, you know, before we had, now I don't know if I need to get off on that. Before we had nurseries, our kids sat in church with us. Remember those days? Now I remember the first nurseries was just a little room in the back with a glass in there so the Mom could take us more of a cry room than anything. Mom could take the baby back there, and, and uh, they could watch the service. Had a speaker in there. They could hear the preaching. But when, we, when our kids were growing up, we didn't have nurseries and stuff. Our kids sat with us in church, and they behaved. Amen? I could not imagine one of my kids getting up and running around up in the front of the church while the preacher was trying to preach. I can't imagine that. But it happens today quite frequently. And I would stop preaching. If I was in a church and they had kids up there running around and jumping and flipping and doing cartwheels and everything, that's not reverencing the house of God. Somebody said, well, they're just kids. God don't care. God does not want anything distracting or taking away from Him when the worship time is going on, when the Word is being preached. Come on, somebody. I don't know. We don't have that going on here, but just to let you know, I'll put a stop to it quick if it is. 
We're to give our all. How do we conduct ourselves? Giving our all to Jesus and His church. We're to love one another without exception in the church. We're to dwell in unity in the church. Amen? How good and how pleasant, the psalmist said, it is when brethren dwell together in unity. We're to serve each other as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and find a place of ministry where we can be a part of the church. And there should be very little, ladies and gentlemen, if anything, that takes priority over God's church. But it's getting to the point that church is where we go when it's convenient to do so. And that should not be the case. When we make a commitment to God and we make a commitment to His church, we ought to support it in every way that we can. If we love the Lord Jesus Christ, we must love the church. And we must behave in a manner that God is glorified. Let everything that is done be done to glorify the Lord. Amen. To lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Now notice in closing here the confession of the house of God. In verse 16, Paul said here that this is without controversy. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up to glory. You know, this is one of the most, of the greatest verses of Scripture in the entirety of the Word of God. This is awesome. It's a glorious truth. It's a glorious truth of the church and that all true believers confess before the world the truth with the ch- which the church and its believers must never deny, neglect, ignore, question. Let me say that to you again. I want you to get that. The glorious truth of the church that all true believers, what Paul's saying here, that all true believers confess before the world. This is the truth which the church and its saints, its believers, must never deny, never neglect, never ignore, or never question. It is the faith, as Jude said, that we must be contending for, that is contended for by the saints of God. The only truth, it's the only truth that offers hope and salvation beyond the grave. It's the only truth that Paul gives here. It's called the mystery of godliness and it gives the truth there it's the only truth that promises everlasting eternal life to those who will believe it this is the pillar of truth the church is supposed to continually be lifting up come on amen what is that mystery of godliness that is without controversy notice he said this mystery of godliness here is without controversy in other words it's indisputable it's undeniable there may be those that say well that's not so but anybody that does not believe what Paul is listed here amen it's heresy anybody that teaches anything different than what he says there about the Lord Jesus Christ about this mystery of godliness is a heretic and this truth is without controversy it's indisputable it's undeniable it's beyond question and it is the truth that all believers must believe and confess Amen. It's the, listen, six wonderful truths about the Lord Jesus Christ. Six things that God has done for man through Jesus Christ. It's a mystery that's now been revealed. The mystery of godliness. A mystery in the Bible is something that was one time veiled in a mystery and nobody understood. But now in the New Testament, it's been revealed. And the mystery of godliness is, number one, the incarnation. That God was manifest in the flesh. God became a man to die for the sins of the world and to come to destroy the power of Satan.
The incarnation of Jesus Christ that he came in flesh is indisputable. It's undeniable. It's without controversy. It's irrefutable. Are you hearing me? There are cults today that say that Jesus was not, uh, was not the son of God. Islam does not believe that God has a son, that he's not the son of God. That's why they're a cult. That's why they're not saved. Come on, somebody. That's why we can't merge Christianity and Islam together. That's why Rick Warren is wrong. There's no such thing as Chrislam. Come on, amen. We are Christians. We believe in the incarnation. Jesus Christ came and was born as a man to pay the price and to redeem fallen humanity by his death on the cross. God was manifest in the flesh and he was justified in the spirit. This is the vindication of Christ because in his earthly ministry, Jesus was denied. He was ignored. He was neglected. He was mocked. He was questioned and he was cursed and he was falsely accused. But the spirit of God vindicated him. He was justified by the spirit of God. He was vindicated by the Holy Ghost and proved that his claims of being the son of God were true by giving him power to do mighty works for for God, many miraculous works of healing and, and deliverance and demons being cast out. The Holy Spirit vindicated Jesus, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed in the devil for God was with him. He was justified in what he did by the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit vindicated him after three days and nights in that tomb. Hallelujah. He raised him up from the dead and declared him to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. That is his vindication. But then it said that he was seen of angels. Angels were present at his birth. Angels were there and ministered to him in his temptation. Angels were there at the garden tomb when he was resurrected. Angels were with him when he ascended on high. Hallelujah. Back to heaven. They were interested in the ministry of Jesus and we should be as well. And I've got news for you. Angels are going to be with him when he comes back to set up his kingdom on this earth. Hallelujah. He was seen of angels. Come on. Amen. But then it said he was preached to the Gentiles. This is the glorious part, ladies and gentlemen, of the mystery of godliness that Jesus Christ came into this world to save all people, even the heathen, the Gentiles, those who who were immoral, those who were depraved, those who were corrupted and hopeless and helpless in life, those who did not have that covenant with God that Israel had. He came to the lost. He came to his own and his own received him not and he turned to the Gentile and to the heathen and I'm glad he did because hallelujah somewhere down the line somebody preach that gospel to me and I'm here tonight in this church because the gospel of Jesus was preached to me an old hippie boy an old heathen an old sinner an old ungodly man thank God he saved me the gospel was preached to the Gentile but then it said he was believed on in the world see that's the very reason Jesus has come to the earth that some might believe on him and be saved and live for God eternally oh the old song there's room at the cross for you though millions have come there's still room for one there's room at the cross for you he was believed on by the world that's why he came that's why he came he loved the world God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life amen he was believed on in the world but then his glorification had said Paul said he was received up into glory this is the mystery of godliness this is indisputable truth this is truth that is without controversy that that the ascension the ascension and exaltation of Jesus Christ he was rejected he was crucified on this earth but praise God he had a different reception in heaven he has been exalted to the supreme place of majesty of the universe he's the lord of lords he's the king of kings he rules and reigns over the universe in 
glory and majesty and dominion and power and he is exalted to the very right hand of almighty God and he said all power has been given to me in heaven and in earth it's indisputable and infallible Jesus Christ is Lord he came out of the grave he rose again he ascended on high and I'll tell you another one there he's coming back again king of kings and lord of lords he's coming back to set up his kingdom it's indisputable it's without controversy I will not argue with fools there's no debate This is the gospel. This is the truth that Jesus Christ has completed the great work of salvation. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, this is the pillar and ground of the truth that we lift up. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Worship team, come on back. Wore out now. I'm trying to get at a business meeting coming up. <laughs> trying to hurry, but listen, the church of the living God is important to God and it should be to us as well. We should love the church. We should support the church. We should be faithful to the church. And whatever we do, we must never, ever, ever give up. On the church. Behave toward the church as God wants us to behave. Do all that we can with the help of the Holy Spirit to make the church better. Amen? And I know nobody does this here, but don't trash the church. Don't don't run down the leadership. Some trash the church. They say, well, it's full of hypocrites and it's full of judgmental, self-righteous people. And that's not the, the way the church is. Just because we preach the truth of God's Word doesn't make us judgmental, self-righteous Pharisees. Jesus Himself preached the truth. Amen. And He's commissioned us to do so. The church is the house of the living God. The pillar and ground of the truth. We've got to hold up the truth. We've got to proclaim the truth. We have the truth, abundant life. Every church, every church in this mental area has the truth that this community needs and this world needs. And we are to be the pillar. A pillar is something lifted up. Amen? It lifts up. They put banners up on pillars and flags and things like that. And the truth is to be lifted up by the church. That truth, those things that Paul mentioned, his vindication, his incarnation, his observation, proclamation, acceptation, glorification, and revelation. We must lift up the truth of God in this lost and dying world. Amen. Pray. And I'm going to close with just saying this. Pray for your church every day. Pray. For your pastor every day. Woo. My uncle used to say, you know, if you're going to talk about me, do it on your knees. <laughs> Tell God about me. Tell God how much help I need because I need it. Amen. Pray for our church. Pray for revival. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. It's the church of the living God. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Lord, we love you. We give you praise. Thank you tonight for the church of Jesus Christ. Thank you for Abundant Life Family Church. 20 years this year. This year, 20 years of ministry here in the Farmington area. And God, you've been so, so, so good. So good to us. We pray, Lord, that you will continue to move and work and bless in this church. Save lost souls. Help us as believers to grow and mature in Christ, to be all that we can be for the kingdom of God, for your glory. 
Lord, we give you the honor and praise for all you do in Jesus' name. Let's sing. They're going to sing something. Let's just worship him for a little bit tonight before.